everybody. Uh, it is good to be here with, with you this morning. Um, I'm Ryan. If we haven't met, I'd love to meet you sometime. Uh, I'm excited the opportunity to teach with you this morning. Um, it's been a little bit since I've gotten to do that. Um, if you've heard me in the past, um, you've heard that one of the things that happens to me uh, somewhat interestingly is that uh, things I preach about uh, often end up like coming true in my life uh, <laughs> in some weird ways. So a couple times ago when I was preaching, uh, I told you the story of my bunny uh, that a while ago when I was teaching, I, I came to the illustration uh, that I was going to use for my sermon that day of this like parasite um, that can get inside and, and grow into larva inside animals. And as I'm like preparing for my sermon for this thing, uh, my daughter calls me downstairs and find out that my bunny actually has one of these like larva growing out of it. It was pretty amazing. And I feel like I made that happen somehow just in the preparation, you know. Uh, and then last time I taught, uh, we were talking about vulnerable children and, and that how we are going to be a great church for vulnerable children, and we we're talking about foster care and adoption, and even though I went into that sermon uh, extremely happy that we were done having kids ever in our house again, uh, God has a funny way of working, and so now uh, we're finishing up our foster care classes and have a crib sitting in the middle of our living room right now. Uh, so knowing that this kind of happens to me, that whatever I preach comes true, I got a little nervous nervous uh, when Jay told me he was going to have me uh, preach one of the Lent messages, because Lent is, is like this dark sacrificial season in the church, right? So I'm like, he's going to make me do the like dark night of the soul passage, isn't he? Right? And like my life is just going to go through like this turmoil. But then he told me it was Palm Sunday, and then I got pretty excited, because like of all the Lent-like things to have to teach on, like I figure what can go wrong with Palm Sunday, right? So uh, I'm excited for this this morning. I'm secretly feeling like somebody's going to throw me a parade at some point in the next month or so. Um, that's just kind of how things go for me, but, uh, yeah, excited. I love Palm Sunday, taught Palm Sunday last year, uh, but I love it because there's just so much here in the story of Palm Sunday. I was glad that we got to read it together, that Mara was able to read us through the story from Mark during our time of worship, but it's so simple on one level, right, is you have this great parade of Jesus coming into the city. Um, it kind of gets Holy Week started, so it kind of feels like, um, like best week ever is coming up here like in another month and we have a parade to kick things off, right? Like it kind of feels like that, right? Like you just have this like parade before, before the, big, the big week of, of events. Um, but this was so much different, right? So Jesus is coming in. There is this parade. Uh, he's riding in on the, on the donkey um, and, and then everybody's getting the palm branches and they're all waving the palm branches and singing, uh, yelling Hosanna to him. And it be kind, of, kind of becomes this big thing. Uh, but it's more than just a parade, right? Um, if we look into it, we realize that there's so much more going on in Palm Sunday. There's so much more in what Jesus was doing as he came into the city, and that's what I love to be able to dive into it. Uh, we almost miss it if we miss some of the details of what's going on here in this story. And the secret to unlocking that, I believe, is this understanding that how you present yourself says something about your intentions. Right? How you present yourself says something about what you expect to be going down. I learned this story on the softball field, uh, which is kind of strange. So uh, for about five years, I was playing church softball with my previous church with Keller Park. Uh, Jamie was on the team there with me. Jamie, can you wave? Yeah, there we go. That's Jamie. Uh, we played together, which says something about the level of athlete that we had going on uh, on the team. We were really good. No, we were not very good. <laughs> uh, we would show up, and we were just this ragtag bunch, right? And we'd just show up and with whatever, like, mismatched clothing we could find, uh, like, whatever shorts you just could be on the top of the drawer that day, you'd pull it out and throw it on. We were all wearing shoes. Like, none of them were, like, softball shoes, right? Like, so we were slipping around half the time. 
one of our teammates was coming from work. He was a mason, and he would come wearing his giant steel-toed, like, construction boots, and he would wear those to play softball. I don't know how he ran, because they were heavy, but that, that was what we were doing, right? Um, we were not good on any level and didn't win very many games, but the beauty was uh, we didn't care. That was the best part of it, right? Because we weren't in it for the softball. We were in it for the ice cream, right? As long as we could show up and have fun and be outside and feel like we were exercising a little bit and then get to the Dairy Queen at the end of it, like that was like as good as it got for us. That was the whole goal of our night and we dressed to prepare for that, right? How we presented ourselves said something about our intentions, which was let's go eat some ice cream, right? <laughs> but we would know what kind of an evening it was going to be uh, by looking at the team, other team as they would arrive, right? We'd be like doing whatever a fake form of warming up it was because we didn't really know what we were doing to warm up. It was just kind of imitating what you saw other people do. Uh, so we'd be warming up, and as the other teams would, would arrive for the night, you just kind of watch them. And what we came to know was that if the other team ended up having a bunch of people wearing baseball pants, like, that would tell us about how the, the day was going to go, right? Because, like, the baseball pants people, they weren't in it for the ice cream, right? <laughs> They were in it for, for the winning, right? They, they were going to take it to the finish, right? So uh, the baseball pants guy, it went beyond baseball pants. The baseball pants were more or less just symbolic of, like, everything else that was going on inside them, right? So it wasn't just the baseball pants. It was, you know, I'd hit the ball, like, to the pitcher, um, <laughs> and I'd run down towards first base, right? And they'd, they'd get the ball, and they'd get me out, and, like, I was, like, so out of breath, you know, like, needed my teammates practically to carry me off the field. And in the meantime, like, those guys, they would make the out, and they'd, like, keep throwing it around the infield for a while, like, just to show off that they had extra, like, athleticism to spare or, like, coordination or whatever it was. Um, and some of them, like, the audacity of this just still, like, amazes me. Some of them, you could tell, had actually, like, worked out. <laughs> the gall of some people, right? Uh, but they, they came out there and they, you know, had their guns blazing and everything like that. And it was just like, guys, this isn't the big leagues. This is, this is B League, Church League. Put the guns away, you know. <laughs> but what, what it was, was it was all symbolized by the baseball pants. So if you knew you were showing up to the game and the other team had seven baseball pants, guys, it was a, it was a seven baseball pants night, right? And you knew that we were going to get ten run early and be to the Dairy Queen just on time <laughs> before the Little League kids got there and it was just going to be wonderful, right? And sometimes you'd show up, and it was only a two-baseball-pants night, and you knew that it, the game might last a little longer, you know, and we might be in it and be able to actually play the whole game uh, without getting mercy ruled, and that would be a little longer. But it, it was, the baseball-pants were just the symbol of something bigger going on, right? They were the symbol that how they intended, uh, what they intended from the activity was shown in how they presented themselves. That's the same truth uh, with the Palm Sunday story, right? What's going on is this thing called a triumphal entry, right? And in a triumphal entry, you had the returning king was returning from battle, and he'd come in and would be celebrated in the city as he returned. Or it would be a conquering hero that was conquering the outside lands that then would come in to overthrow whoever was king, and they'd be coming into the city as people were cheering them on their way in to overthrow the current king. And when they would come in, they would come all prepared to show they were serious about business. They didn't have their baseball pants and their eye black and their sunflower seeds, but instead they would come in prepared for what was ahead. They came in riding on a king's war horse, right? The tallest, 
biggest, strongest, machoist horse that you could find that could show how powerful you were, right? Beyond that, they, were, they would wear armor, not, not only the strongest armor, but the most expensive, fanciest armor to show how powerful, how wealthy, how influential they were, and they'd be covered in the nicest robes that money could buy, right? It was all a part of expressing their intentions, and what they were trying to express is that whatever is the best thing that's out there in the world, whatever the king currently is, whoever is in that position right now, I'm going to be more than that. I'm going to be better than that. I'm going to take the way the world works, and I'm going to do it bigger and better than anything you've ever seen before. And we know there's a way the world works, right? The way the world works is that some people get ahead while other people get it behind. And there's all sorts of things that contribute to that. It can be someone's strength or the power that they've been given. It can be something about how they were born. Back in the day, kings were just kings because they were born into the right family while others were born into the wrong families. It can be about how wealthy they are or how manipulative they are or can be, right? But there's all these different ways that the world plays this game where some get ahead while others get behind. And the kings were the ones that were at the top of the pile. They did it better, they did it more than anyone else. That's the way the world worked. And that's what these triumphal entries were about, right? They presented themselves in a way to show their intention. So Jesus was strange, and the story with Jesus is strange because in some ways it was very similar to these triumphal entries. He was riding into town. He was riding on the same parade routes into the capital city. He was doing the king, overthrowing the king thing, right? What he was doing was very political. I'm amazed that the Romans didn't come in and just kill him right there on the spot because everybody knew what he was doing because he was doing something that was similar, something that was familiar to something that they knew that they had experienced before. In some ways, it was really similar. But in some ways, it was really different what Jesus was doing. And the main difference can be summed up in just looking at the donkey itself. Jesus didn't come in on this big, grand, expensive, rare, strong war horse. He came in on this tiny, smelly donkey. And we're told beyond that, it wasn't just the donkey. We're told that it was the colt, the foal, the young of a donkey, right? So when you're used to the war horse being the symbol of strength and power, you have this small, insignificant donkey. When you're, sh- when you're used to the best of the best, you have the worst of the donkeys because you have just a baby child donkey. Even It's not even the best donkey that you can find. Donkeys are cheap. It's like coming into a town in a parade like in a used beater car that you found, right? It, it, it was entirely different in how Jesus was going about doing that. Yeah, Jesus was showing up, but he was playing an entirely different game. Just like on the softball field, we were showing up, baseball pants team was showing up, but we were playing two different games on that field. There was two different purposes going on. That's the same thing with Jesus. He was marching the march, but in an entirely different way, with an entirely different purpose. So to understand that purpose, to understand that game, we have to understand that what Jesus was doing wasn't random. 
It wasn't just this thing that happened that everybody started getting excited together that he was like, oh, go find me that mm, donkey over there, right? It wasn't this random thing that just happened to come together on the spot. What Jesus was doing is he was walking into and living out a story that had been told long ago, many years before through the prophet Zechariah. Here's a story we see in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 and 10. Here's the encouragement from the prophet. It says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout with joy, daughter Jerusalem. Zion and Jerusalem there are uh, representations for God's people of Israel, right? So God's people should be happy. They should rejoice. They should shout. It says this, See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious king, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's the story, right? That's the Palm Sunday story right there. What Jesus was doing was already written years before Jesus ever stepped foot on the streets heading into Jerusalem that day. This is the story. This is what's going on. And if we can see what's going on here, we can see the why behind what Jesus was doing. We can see the deeper things beyond it just being a prey that day. There is something that Jesus was trying to communicate. There is something, some intention he was trying to express in how he presented himself. And we see that in the next verse, in verse 10. It says this, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is coming to do something and what he's coming to do is he's coming to do things different than the way the world has normally worked so far. He's coming to confront the way the world has worked. And we see this, the way the world has worked. The chariots, the war horses, the battle bows and arrows, right? These are symbols of the way the world has worked. It's about power. It's about control. It's about you dominating other people so that you can rise to the top. And Jesus is coming. The march is about this. The march is about taking those things away. It's about confronting the way the world has normally worked. Jesus is coming as a confrontation to that. And so we see, what is he doing in our world? What does it mean for us that he's doing this? One, he's coming to end war, but it's so much more than war. It's so much more than violence because these things are symbols of all of the problems with the way the world works, right? It's not just the chariots and war horses and battle bows. You have the people that are making the chariots and war horses, and battle bows, or whatever the equivalent of that is for us today, right? The weapons manufacturers. You have the people that are, that are gaining profit over contributing more to the way the world works through violence and destruction. And Jesus is marching against that. Jesus is marching against the kings that rise to the top at the expense of others. He's marching against the politicians that uh, take action to keep themselves in power at the expense of other people. The politicians that take the money from others and act on behalf of the money instead of acting on behalf of the people. Jesus is coming to march against these things. Jesus is marching against the people that profit over the sl- off of the slave labor and sweatshop conditions of other people that they treat as less than human. Jesus is marching against these things. 
Jesus is marching against the slumlords that profit off of housing while not giving people basic, healthy, human living conditions to survive in. Jesus is marching to confront the way the world works. And I hear that kind of stuff. I have a passion for justice. If you know me, you know that. I hear that stuff and that gets me so excited. I'm like, yeah, Jesus, you're doing it, man. You're gonna show those people. You show those people that are like taking all that money and making everybody else's lives miserable. You show those people that are racist, that are profiting uh, off of keeping other people down. You show those people, Jesus. You got this, man. But there's more to this story than that. Right, so we look in this verse and he says he's going to take these things away, the chariots, the war horses, the battle bows, but he says I will take them away from Ephraim and from Jerusalem. Ephraim is northern Israel. It's God's people. Jerusalem is the capital of southern Israel, God's people. He's saying it's not just Egypt, it's not just Rome, it's not just Greece, it's not just the big, powerful people that have the problems that you're ranting and raving about. It's right there in you. You've got this in you. I've got to take this out of you as well. Man, and I look at my life, and it it starts to cut me as I realize that in me. I have been too content living my life, profiting off of the way the world works, even at the expense of others, right? Me being me, being male, being white, means that I have had things that have gone well for me in life that other people don't have go well for them. Who I am is a benefit of my amazing parents and my grandparents and their parents, right, who are great people and who weren't evil people. They weren't the weapons people and the slave people. They weren't those people. They were great people, but they benefited at a time where people of color were not able to benefit, right? And so my life has benefited in ways that other people were not allowed to benefit from that. And too long I have spent my life not caring I spent too much of my life just being okay with that because it worked okay for me. I've spent too much of my life knowing, knowing that I like to buy cheap stuff because I'm cheap. You know that, I love Taco Bell, right? Like, we can be honest, like, Taco Bell's cheap. Right? I love cheap stuff, but I've spent my life buying clothes and coffee and all sorts of other things that I know aren't coming from good places, that I know the things I'm doing uh, are contributing to people who are working in less than human conditions, that are working to people that are being held in slave-like situations at times, and for too long, I've just been okay with that because I get cheap stuff and I like cheap stuff. Right? I'm a part of this system. I'm a part of it. We have this stuff in our lives. We have ways in which we carry the chariots and ways in which we carry the war horses. It's there in us, and Jesus is marching to confront that. But not just the stuff in them, not just the stuff in us. Sometimes we're still on the outside, but we want, we want the stuff. We want the, the stuff the way the world works. 
Uh, when we were playing softball, there was this one team that we would play uh, that they would show up, and most of them had baseball pants, but they were so bad, right? <laughs> like, they were so bad, we would still beat them, which was really sad, because we really only were in it for the ice cream. And so you felt bad, because they were in it for the baseball, and they didn't get the baseball or the ice cream, right? Um, and I just wanted, like, a grandma to, like, come put her arm around them and be like, honey, like, just play for the ice cream, because they'd get so frustrated. They'd go out there, and they clearly wanted to be awesome at baseball, and they would get so frustrated with themselves when it didn't go that way. And they were longing for something that would never satisfy them in the way they were looking for. We have that in us, too, right? There's ways in which we think that if we can just do this. If we can just have this happen, then everything's going to be all right. If we can just get our guy voted into office to make our rules the rules we like, then things will be perfect, right? If I can just get that job promotion so I can be the one in power, so I can be the boss. My, my little three-year-old's always telling me, like, when I'm 18, I'll grow up, and then I'll be the mommy, and, and then I'll make the rules, <laughs> right? Like, we have that in us, if only we can get there, if only we can get the good people to be in power, if we can get the good people in the chariots, if we can get the good people to have the bows, then everything's going to be okay. What Jesus was marching against wasn't just the state of things. It was what we believe, what we value, what we pursue, what our heart longs for, and he's trying to tell us that those things are never going to satisfy. Those things are never going to be what we hope for them to be. Jesus came to confront that. But beyond confronting, Jesus came to comfort. He came to comfort because when we're on the outside, we feel like nobody knows what we're going through. When we're oppressed, when we have those other people that are coming against us in power and strength and we feel like we have nothing to come back to, it feels so lost and feels so alone. And we see that Jesus sees those things, he sees the way the world works, and he marches and says, I'm going to take care of that. What a great comfort that is to know that it's not going unnoticed, that it's not going unaddressed, that God cares and God is doing something about it. What a great comfort. But there's more than just the comfort of knowing that God is, is confronting the way the world works. There's comfort in how he goes about it. See, people were used to the war horse, the high horse. They were expecting that, right? You've heard the phrase, uh, get off your high horse, right? Everybody heard that? It's talking about people who think they're better than you. Right? And it's talking about this story. The high horse was literally the higher horse, the bigger horse, the better horse, the stronger horse, the more expensive horse, the powerful, rich, wealthy, whatever, you name it, rode the high horse. So that phrase, get off the high horse, means stop thinking that you're better than other people. The high horse is better than you. The donkey says, one of you. Right? And we have a God that so many times we can feel like we are distant from. We can feel like we're down here and God's just up there. And sometimes the church does this to us, right? We, we can elevate pastors, we can elevate staff, we can elevate just the, the machine of the church and to where we feel so outside, we feel excluded for one reason or another. And I don't know what your story is. I don't know what you felt, but whatever it is, whatever you felt, whatever has led you to feel that God is up there, and you are down here, know this. We have a God who got off his high horse and got down on a donkey. God is with you. God is with you. He is with you. He is there to comfort you, to walk through life with you. And even, yes, 
as king, but a king who walks with you. The march of Jesus was a march to confront the way the world works. It was a march to comfort those of us in it. It says there in comfort, he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. A God who is with us, who gives his peace to us, not from a distance, but from nearby. A God who comforts us. We're going to transition to our time of communion today. And as we do, we have the bread, which is Jesus' body broken for us, which is, you know, five days down the story from Palm Sunday, right? And we have the cup, which is the blood of Jesus shed, poured out for us, right? Jesus' march into town, his confrontation, his comfort led to his brokenness in the end as the world couldn't stand it. The world couldn't stomach the story of things being any different than they were. And Jesus was broken and sacrificed as a result. So for us, we have this opportunity to come to the table and it's this kind of surreal moment to come and be face-to-face confronted with the brokenness of Jesus on our behalf. And so as we do this, the things I want us to ask ourselves is this. What in you is confronted by the brokenness of Jesus? What is confronted by the brokenness? And also, where does Christ's brokenness comfort you? Where does it confront you? Where does it comfort you? With that, we come to the table together. Here's the story that after Jesus came into town days later he was meeting with his disciples his friends in the upper room and as he was meeting with them he prayed and he took the bread and he broke it and he said this bread is my body which is broken for you and whenever you get together and do this together remember me In the same way, once they finished their dinner together, he picked up the cup. He said, this cup is my blood. It's the new covenant, the new promise sealed in my blood, and it's for you. And whenever you get together, and whenever you do this, remember me. Let's pray together and then have the opportunity to come together at the table. God, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you that you see us and you hear our cry. You hear the cry of those who are distant, who feel distant from you. You hear the cry of those uh, who are hurt by the way the world works. God, I thank you that you hear us and you have come to intervene. Thank you for coming to confront and to comfort. Fill us with your goodness and your grace. Amen. As we close the day, I want to leave you with one last thought, and that is this. Uh, Paul, one of the followers of Jesus, writes to us and tells us that we, the church, 
are now the body of Christ. We are the body of Jesus. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. So that means we are the ones that uh, now are the actors of the work God was doing in the world through Jesus. That is now passed on to us. So the march that was Jesus' march is now our march to march together. So we, as the church, as we see power in the world, may may we march to confront it with humility. As we see violence in the world, may we march to confront it with peace. As we see injustice in the world, may we march to confront it with justice. And as we see people out in the world who feel distant, who feel separated, who feel far from God and far from others, may we march out with the comfort of God's love. May you go out this week into the community, into our city, and may you have the courage to live out the Palm Sunday march day in and day out. Grace and peace be with you. Have a great day.